Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. This week's guest setlist curator is guitar player and teacher Gabe Bergman. 28 years old and based in Los Angeles, Gabe has become wildly popular due to his incredible guitar tutorials on YouTube and Instagram, many of which feature Grateful Dead tracks. If you visit Gabe's pages, you can learn how to replicate Bobby's rhythm guitar in a 1990s Uncle John's band, play major, minor, diminished, and augmented triads in C major, and much more. All of Gabe's links are in the show notes. Welcome, Gabe. Hello, it's great to be here. This week's prize pack provider is Ninth House Goods. Run by married couple Kate and Charlie, Ninth House Goods sells ceramic mugs, bowls, tumblers, candlestick holders, gravy boats, and much more. Each piece is also hand-glazed, often with a distinctive two-tone aesthetic. Links to their website and their Instagram are in the show notes. They do both retail and wholesale. Thank you so much, Kate and Charlie. Here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year the performance is from. Contestants who are all in a video conference together can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will hear three tracks, and whoever is closest to the correct years in aggregate wins. We've got our returning champ Gunner here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment, but first, without further ado, The Grateful Dead. Guesses are in. That was Help on the Way at War Memorial Auditorium in Buffalo, New York on May 9th, 1977. Gabe, that's a perfect track to open a show. Tell us about that particular Help on the Way. The show after what some may say is the greatest Grateful Dead show, May 8th, 77. And throughout maybe 77, you look at these set lists and a lot of them end up being like greatest hits that were performed nightly which is crazy. I mean, looking at the set list now, Help, Slip, Franklin's, Cassidy, Brown-Eyed Women, Mexicali, Tennessee, Jet, like, come on. The band were on fire. And, you know, talking to a lot of people who've been to many Grateful Dead shows, they would always say, for as many good shows as Garcia had, there are also a lot of the bad shows, you know? There's a show on YouTube, I think, like, 94, him doing um, Help, Slip, Franklin's, and when it comes to the diminished arpeggios at the end, he flops. He misses like most of the notes. And this is one that to me is a great example of help on the way. Everyone's playing great. You can hear Phil's bass, which is beautiful. And then Garcia's playing is just chef's kiss. It's like great example of help on the way. Are there patterns to Garcia flubbing beyond his health arc? His rhythm is always pretty solid. Like he'll do 
are one of my favorite things that they, he does that Dead & Co. don't do, for example, which Dark Star Orchestra do as well, is I love, for example, in the beginning of this one, you hear him do... Which I love, which is just an F minor chord, but it's nothing crazy. And then he always does these great slides. But when he would sometimes flop, which is the hardest part of the song, is the arpeggio. Right? And that's the tough part of the song, especially with tempo. But that's also, I guess, through teaching, help on the way is kind of like, kind of the ultimate when talking about Grateful Dead song. Everyone always talks about how difficult Slipknot is. Do you feel like the difficulty of Help on the Way is overshadowed by Slipknot? I see Slipknot as just you're soloing an A minor. So if you're soloing an A minor in Slipknot, essentially hit a lot of different notes to create um, a lot of different, how do you call it, like darkness. Like if, if they're doing this and you want to create tension... And then they would do some cues to get back together, which is another thing that I would love to talk about one day is, you know, how did they know when to come back um, in a lot of songs? What's your guess? (laughs) It had to be some visual cue from somebody. I would love to know because in my head, which obviously didn't happen, is they're saying, all right, pre-show, we're doing this. Garcia, take a good solo when you're ready. Let me know and we'll get out of it. Or, you know, like in Dark Star, they play that motif again and they all sort of go in their own worlds. I just want to tell the audience, Gabe has obviously has a guitar here and that was not my <laughs> idea. That was Gabe's genius idea, which I'm now going to require of all <laughs> guitar players who, uh, who come on the show. Well, everyone guessed 1977. Everyone's on the next round. Another person whose take I want on this is Eric Carlin from the band Eric Carlin's Half Dead. You've heard Josh on the show before. He's also a member of the band. It's great to have Eric here. He is from Rochester, New York. Eric, you play these parts because you are the Jerry in your Grateful Dead tribute band. In your mind, does playing Help on the Way require more concentration than Slipknot? Um, it's funny. My, my band, um, we're about to do like a third show where we just covered this doing like a we've done a run where we covered this actual show so it was funny to hear that this is the first song because i've been working on it like a mofo um <laughs> but for me uh, i agree with all the stuff that gabe said um but it's the singing is really hard to pull off to sound that comfortable to sing the way that he did and then and play those licks in between and then sing like that's you know, I thought that would be easy, but for me, it's not. I really had to work at like being really relaxed and not rush those lines because I get really nervous, especially when you're opening with this tune and you're thinking like, oh crap, you know, slip knot, you know, and you're trying to just relax and the show's just starting and you're trying not to rush. Yeah. And I agree with you, Gabe, like it's so cool the way he chucks. That's my favorite part. And, and sometimes I actually play with musicians that maybe aren't deadheads per se, but like the music and they don't see why someone would do that you know like a drummer that's like no let's just come right in like no we're covering the show like i want to hear i want to we need to line up and like find the tempo 
Oh, so it's more than just an aesthetic choice. They're actually finding the tempo. I think so. Yeah. They look like Garcia's starting it and they're maybe agreeing with him. Yeah. Eric, you're on the next round. Patrick is also on the next round. He's 57 from Staten Island. Patrick, you knew that was a 77. Yes. I agree with Gabe. You know, it's somewhat a controversial uh, opinion to take, but I think 5877 is great from a, a technical standpoint that there's no wrong notes pretty much the whole night. But in terms of really uh, laying into it and uh, feeling uh, the following night in, in Buffalo was, uh, has always been my, my favorite. That's a good take, Pat. Also on to the next round is our returning champ, Gunner. Gunner beats Steve. I thought there wasn't going to be a tournament of champions this season because there's just going to be Steve at the end of it, to be honest. But uh, Gunner took down Steve. He's 59 from Roy, Utah. Gunner, welcome back. What did you hear on that 77? Well, I almost was fooled because I I was I had this moment of being counterintuitive that I, I I was I was thinking, man, they sure play a lot of seventy seven on this show, and and so I I, start, I started the I, I wrote down seventy six, you know, but but I, I I changed my guess because it really it it had all those hallmark sounds of those shows that we listen to so much, and I wanted to. Uh, highlight boston as well from is that before um cornell or after one or the other but but i think there was there's boston cornell and and the buffalo show and and that's just a trifecta of awesomeness good job gunner and lastly on the next round is orion orion is 46 from bend oregon nice pull orion yeah, I've I've listened to that show so many times. I knew it almost immediately. That's one of my favorite, if not the favorite, Help Slip Franklin's of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of my favorite shows of '77, uh, besides the Six Nine uh, Winterland show. Yeah, no, I knew it right away. Easy. Aha! All right, everyone's on the next round. Gabe's got another pick. Let's hear it. Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York on March 24th, 1990. That was taped by Ray Ackerman and transferred by Charlie Miller and Joe Knoll. All right, Gabe, beautiful Stella Blue. Tell us about it. The power of Garcia's voice. My God, it's so, so good. So just by hearing that, and you also hear at one point the audience has a huge, a huge like, yeah, like, come on. 
there are a couple of shows, not from 90, but I think it's like 87 or 88, where a couple times on vocal runs, Garcia would hit a note and lift his pickup in the air for and and sing. And in in this one particular, I all I want to picture is him doing that and the crowd reacting to it. You know, because sometimes what blows my mind is you hear these incredible runs and soloing. And it's not like today when Garcia is interacting with the audience. He's standing in front of the guitar rig, just noodling or looking down or not really showing a lot of emotion, like interacting with the audience at least. But in that moment, like he does. Beautiful single note lines. And yeah, his voice is just, he's really feeling it. So Eric and Orion both got it, both on the next round. Orion, nice pull, Y90. Uh, what I first heard was like a 93 um, with a Vince, but then I heard the Brent element. I'm like, it has to be pretty late Brent. And and my my mind just went to 1990. Um, probably Garcia's vocal viewed me in on that, but it had a 90s sound. Let's say that. Eric, you also guessed 1990. You're on to the next round. What gave it away there? Um, I've just worn out that disc, dozing at the neck. And I was like, oh, man, don't be. It's not that easy. Maybe I'm, you know, this is the most nervous I've ever been, minus some psychedelic experiences listening to the Grateful Dead. So I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's not 1990. But then, you know, you get that stuff implanted in your head. So, like, I know when he steps on the, the gain pedal for the solo, it's like super metal because there's such a distinction between his clean tone and his lead sound in that era. So that that's when I knew that it was dozing at the neck. Thanks, Eric. You're on the next round. As is Pat, who guessed 88. Gunner, our returning champ, guessed 86, and he's eliminated. Pat, 88. So I heard Brent, and um, it was either 88 or 90, because in 1989, Jerry's voice, I think, got cleaner and stronger. But on either side of that, it was a little more raggedy. So um, I, went with, uh, I went with 88. I'm waiting for the opportunity to use the uh, fatter fingers reference from uh, last season. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the great Todd. That was the greatest uh, observation of all. If anyone is just picking up with a show and hasn't heard Todd, uh, go back to the last season and check that out. Wild, wild. Pat, can you make out Jerry's fingers? Um, no. No, I go by... I, <laughs> I, I'm not that astute. I, I base a lot on his voice and um, sometimes how he emphasizes words. For example, in, in, in 89, he would hit the T really hard hmm. on certain songs, like Night. You know, he'd, he'd kind of hit it. And so he goes through cycles like that. It's a good tip of your own there, Pat. Gunner, our returning champ, 86, tell us. What I heard there was Jerry struggling. Initially, I was kind of hearing some 83. And, and I was just thinking that sooner or later, that 86 is going to come up here, you know. And I, I, I figured that I was going to take a shot. And man, I, I did not hear 1990. So I was dumbfounded, gobsmacked. What do you usually associate with 90 that you didn't make out of this track? Clean. To me, I heard Jerry having a tough time. 
Gunner, the man who took down Steve. We really appreciate you coming back to defend your title, and it's been so cool chatting these past Thanks couple Thanks for having weeks. me. Thanks, Gunner. Eric, Orion, and Pat are on to the next round. Let's hear Gabe's next song. Mexicali Blues at Anaheim Stadium in California on July 26, 1987. That was taped by Tazuo Yamaguchi and Jamie Porras and transferred by Russ Kanzler. As you can see, I'm trying to say the tapers' names. I apologize for not doing that up until this point. Pretty uh, bad oversight on my part, but moving forward, always be recognizing the, the tapers and the transfers. Gabe, tell us about that Mexicali. That was a fucking real nice one. Yeah. Garcia's playing is is really really dialed in there. Um, this guy on YouTube, his name is Christopher Myers or Christopher Mayers. He uploads these shows in 4K on YouTube. This is one that I stumbled upon for some reason. I I watched it and I watched it through to the Mexicali Blues and Garcia does one of his. I don't know if you call it signature lines, but he does one of his signature ideas, which is. Ascending pattern of four. Usually, he would do a, a descending. Like, let's say he's playing at that part in like D. So going down the scale, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But here, he does a phrase that is really clean also. To go from this D to what I'm assuming would be an A chord after that. And in the video, his picking hand, and you can see it's like perpendicular to the strings, as opposed to, I guess, parallel with it, as you could say. And it's just a great, a great example of a pattern of four ascending. And I tell that to a lot of students. You hear a lot descending because it's a bit easier, but ascending, this Mescali Blues is always my go-to. So he didn't usually do it this way. Usually you'd hear him do it down, doing up at this tempo. At least to me, I don't know another one. Cool, Gabe. So Orion got it exactly. He guessed 87. He's on to the finals. Way to go, Orion. How'd you pull that? That was a tough one, Gabe. I got to say, I was kind of on a seesaw there for a minute. I was like, this could be like 83 to 89. Uh, there was no Brent. I mean, Mexicali pretty much sound the same from 90s to 70s. There was differences, but in the 80s, there, that was a very tough song. 
so what cued me in was Jerry's was Jerry's lead. And what I mean by that more specifically is like if it was like 84, 85, it would be more like distorted and like raw. But 87, he kind of had more of that clarity, maybe more of a sobriety. And so that ripping lead at the end was like, okay, this is later 80s. And um, I don't know, 87 just popped into my head. <laughs> That's a great observation, Orion, because the 87 tone and maybe late 80s as well, it just sounds like a clean, a clean guitar tone with a bit of distortion or overdrive from the, from the amp itself. Um, and you could hear it's very clear his playing, and that and has to do with that setup. There's no overdrive pedal. Um, so yeah. Great work, Ryan. Joining you in the finals is Pat, who guessed 91. Eric guessed 93. Pat, why 91? You know, this was very tough. I got fooled by the keyboards. I, I initially heard Plinky Plinky, and I said, oh, it's like 82. And then I didn't hear Brent singing, so I said, oh, wait, it, maybe it's Vince. So uh, I... I just bet everything on that. I I, I lucked out. <laughs> Good job, Pat. You're on the on the finals there, Eric. You guessed ninety three. Talk to us. Oh man, that was a tough one. Um, I had no idea. I didn't know what to grasp onto. I was listening to the quality of it, um, and I didn't think I heard Brent. So I was trying to like split the difference. Like, oh man, is it one of these? Like, is it after Brent? And I thought the keyboard sounded like like plinky like he was saying i'm like maybe that's vince i don't know i got really confused and i was like ah 93 just totally threw me good one eric i've been so stoked to have you on how did you get into the dead and how did you end up starting eric carlin's half dead a fantastic fantastic tribute band well i started playing guitar when i was like 13 and my hometown a small town called hornell new york there was like a lot of deadheads and i have an older brother so I was getting into guitar and at the same time started meeting all these dead, like deadheads and like realizing how much people love that music. And so a lot of my studies are rooted in the songs. So like the first time I learned how to play C minor seven, I learned brown eyed women, you know, and played it for a bunch of, bunch of people that were, you know, spun out around a campfire kind of thing. And I felt really good to do that. So the music is, is just part of my, in my DNA to, to play. And so it's also just gotten, gotten me through like a lot of tough times in my life. So it's natural for me to just play it. It feels good. There's also a lot of bands doing it. And I just felt like, Oh man, I feel like I could do a really good job um, coming from a, uh, a pure place to just want to want to play and just got lucky and found some, some good players where I'm, where I'm living now. And so you're like, all right, I know I can do the Jerry part. Then how do you go about recruiting people to do everything else? Uh, I don't know that I can do it. I just, it's fun. Um, and I know that I'm, <laughs> so the thing it. is I know I'm always, cause I like it enough. I love it that I'm always going to be like screwing around with it and like digging in and trying to figure things out. So I figured why not be in a band? I think I put a Facebook post out like five or six years ago and about starting one. And it's not often that I found people that are interested in digging in enough to Bob Weir guitar parts a lot of people really phone that stuff in and josh was really serious about it. he was like oh man i would love to do that so he, he takes that really seriously i yeah i just think everybody talks about jerry rightfully so but there aren't as many people that dig in and learn all the bob parts that stuff is really unique yeah and then i also used to teach at a couple of local colleges and 
um, found a bass player that way. So I had access to some good players from from that. Well, where can people find more information about Eric Carlin's Half Dead? Halfdeadlive.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, Eric Carlin's Half Dead. We have a YouTube page with updated clips from shows. And so actually there's some clips, um, at least one. I think a music never stopped from our last show. Yeah, you guys are firmly in my YouTube algorithm. Oh, thanks. Firmly. That's great. Oh, yeah. Appreciate yeah. you. Thanks for coming on the show, Eric. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. Nice to meet all you guys. Pat and Ryan are on to the finals. It's three songs, and whoever has the lowest aggregate score over three songs wins and gets the amazing ceramics prize pack from Ninth House Goods. Let's hear the first song in the finals. Box of Rain at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, Utah on February 28th, 1973. Gabe. I think that's a perfect performance of that song. I mean, Phil's voice is, it's Phil's voice, but his bass playing is really, is really simple and kind of bouncy. And then Donna, I'm not sure if it was mixed that way, but you can hear her voice over Phil's, not volume wise, maybe like in the mix wise. And it's super, it fits perfectly. Also, the pronunciation of words was really accurate. When I was at Berkeley, I had a teacher, Livingston Taylor, the brother of James Taylor. And one thing he instilled on the first day was you have to be uh, super, you have to have good pronunciation of words. He wants to hear every syllable, every ending of words so he would make us introduce ourselves and say, oh, it can be cleaner. So you would literally say in front of class, my name is Gabriel Bergman. So every, every word is clear. And this box of rain has that. Um, and that whole show is a great show. Another one, like I mentioned before, it's one of these shows that you look at the set lists. It's like a greatest hits. It's just, I guess, lack of a better term, banger after banger. <laughs> Well, Pat guessed 73, nailed it. Orion guessed 71. Pat goes up by two points in the, the series here. Pat, nice poll. Tell us about it. So um, Keith, a lot more flourishes in his playing. So it was earlier in uh, their experience with the band. Phil was singing it a lot more than speaking, as he did in later years of uh, the lyrics. 
And uh, but the thing that I usually tie in with 73 is just the quality of the sound because of those noise canceling uh, microphones they used to use. It's kind of thin. It's a little hissy sometimes. So it, it had that sound to it. Orion, 71. Well, it just it sounded just kind of early uh, in that song for, for me. It sounded like an early version. And I know he wrote that in 70. So I just figured 71 because you had some Keith in there and some Donna. I guess I was thinking like late 71. But uh, yeah, kind of missed the mark on that one. I guess I used kind of 72 as sort of a, a bridge of those years. And it just... It sounded early and raw to me, so I went with 71. Definitely a, a nice version. Thanks, Orion. Earlier you were telling us you're a drummer, and I'm wondering how you got into the dead and if there's any Billy influence on your drumming. Gosh, I wish, man. <laughs> uh, some of his best stuff, you know, 74, 73. Um, he was so amazing in those years without Mickey. Uh, his roles were so tight and his drumming was so tight. Um, I actually had a chance to meet Billy uh, in Kona, Hawaii, when they played at a coffee plantation there in um, 2008. And uh, I was really nervous to meet Billy, <laughs> but my buddy Jim knew him and I was able to introduce myself to him. And, uh, but he, he was really great in those years. He still is. Um, so I've I've always obviously idolized Billy, but um, never been able to to really hit the mark as far as the way they they lose the one. I always thought that was such a fascinating concept of they how they lose the one in those jams when when the Grateful Dead can really become a jazz band at their at their greatest element. And but uh, yeah, how I got into the Dead, you know, back in uh, 90, 91, my brother went and saw them at RFK and. Um, Came back with a lot of good stories and uh, started listening to the Grateful Dead and was able to see them uh, in Las Vegas in, in 92 for the first time. I was 15 years old and was able to see them almost 30 times in the 90s. And uh, that was a great time in my life and have been listening to them ever since. Was there like a flipping of the switch moment or like, oh, shit, I got to keep doing this? Yeah, I, I, I caught the show out in Chandler, Arizona in 92 when they busted out Here Comes Sunshine for the first time since 1974. And I would say that was the flipping of the switch moment. Great show. If you ever get a chance to listen to that 12, that's one of my first favorite first sets that I've ever heard of them. Some Vince love on guest the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I ever saw. So <laughs> right on Orion. Thank you. And Pat, before we go on to the second round of the finals, could you tell us how you uh, got into the dead? So I was very fortunate to uh, basically have the same core group of friends um, since first grade. And now 50 years later, we're still together. So when we were about 13 or 14 years old, through the influence of older siblings and older friends, they started listening to the dead. And suddenly it was like my friends were speaking a language I didn't understand. So um, I... I, I uh, Went to the mall on the bus and uh, to Woolworths, and I bought uh, Working Man's Dead. And I remember the first time I was listening to it, I, I felt like like I was being let in on a secret. And it was almost like, uh, boy, this should come with a secret handshake or something. So it was, again, it was like learning, you know, learning the, the basics first, and then it grew from there. 
we grew up on the south shore of Long Island, so we were about five miles from Nassau Coliseum. And uh, so it was very easy to go to shows and just a, a 40 minute train ride to the to Manhattan. So uh, we were privileged in that sense that, you know, it was easy access to uh, to get exposed to the music. And it's been going on ever since. So <laughs> when you when you have a group of friends like that, is there like a friendly competitiveness in terms of knowledge of the dead? Not so much that, but but there's um we've been doing a lot lately. It's like uh oh check this out and um immediately get a response back, oh that's nothing, check this set out. And uh it's not it's not so much knowledge, it's it's more one upsmanship in terms of uh yeah, that that's nothing. Here's here's this is much hotter. Oh, you you haven't heard this? Well what about so that's that's what it comes down to. It's it's you know, it, it's the equivalent of uh a couple of old men in a in a in a diner arguing about something. So, Pat, did you see the uh, Branford show in in Nassau in ninety? Were you able to see that? Yes, yes. So oh, that. Jesus! Oh, and, and no one knew, you know, no one knew what was happening with that. All of a sudden, you know, it was like, "Hey, this is new." <laughs> so, thanks, Pat. That's really really cool. What a good group of friends, and uh, they're still going out to the shows. Absolutely. Okay, Pat, you're. Uh, you're up by two points in the series. There are two songs left. Plenty of time for Orion to make his comeback. Let's hear the second song of the finals. Uncle John's Band at Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York on March 30th, 1990. 20 years after the song came out, Gabe, why that one in particular? Uncle John's Band over the years has really grown on me, specifically because it's a really happy song or tonally happy song. It's all in, uh, all in major. But for that ending part, which I love, is they go from this G... Um, C, and then it goes. From very major and strictly the key of G. And they go in, uh, they go to seven time wise, and they go to D minor. which is so cool. But Uncle John's band is really evident. And then Garcia does that. Uh, 
which is another great single line set that he does. Also, the octave effect you can hear in his solo, which is one of his kind of, it was in his rack at the time. So he had the ability to turn it on and off with his obel. So yeah, that's a great, another great example of Uncle John's band, at least for me. Not a big like scene change, but more of a, a suspension is like in Mississippi Half Step before they go to the ending jam. Garcia's the band they're on an E seven chord, and they go. Oh, you're holding your breath over the E seven. Oh, it soothes you back down the major. And the opposite would be like now um, in Uncle John's band, going from very major to a dark minor tonality in seven um, beat, in seven count, and then resolve at the end back to major. It seems like songs, and especially jams with direction that build tension, just hold our attention better. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the music is, and I tell people, is just tension and release. How much can you grasp the audience and then just make them release the tension that they built up? Um, and Uncle John's band, you know, going from very major to so cool. Thanks, Gabe. So both these guys guessed eighty nine. So we have the same situation going into the final round. Orion, why 89? Well, my gut was saying 90, but we already did a 90. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he would do it twice, buddy. Uh, I knew it was one of the two. That's actually my ringtone on my phone, that riff. Oh, really? I love, I think that's one of the essential Jerry riffs. Uh, that in the in the hook at the end of Ruben and Charisse. Um, Those are my two essential, and the one on, on Let It Grow. Those three are my favorite Jerry riffs. But uh, yeah, I, I was like, oh, that's ninety, but he didn't do it twice. So <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love I love those 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 late Brent uh, Uncle John band, good stuff. So um, I guess you were thinking the same thing, Pat. I was thinking one thousand percent the same thing. <laughs> I said. What kind of fly-by-night show is going to play the same year twice? <laughs> but no, and 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 also because it sounds, it sounds, you know, it's got that brightness that '89 had. You know, I mean, think about the summer tour of '89. You know, the the energy and the happiness, and uh, it it had that. It had that kind of punch to it. So yeah, I went with '89. Funny you mentioned it because whenever I'm in a really good mood, I throw in an '89 or '90 show. Was it similarly like? fun and carefree in person it, it's hard to get that type of feel for it i mean you all know it was it's really up to the crowd the crowd is as much part of the band as the people on stage and uh you know what the general vibe is the collective feeling but uh for the most part they were dependable the band was was had it together and and uh they were really tight pat is up by two points going into the final song but before we proceed, Gabe, how did you get into the dead? So the Grateful Dead, I think like a lot of us were was in high school in that one friend group you know, that I was not a part of. I didn't know what they were doing, didn't know anything about the band or anything. Um, and then 2015, 
they announced Fare Thee Well. Again, I know nothing about them, but I find this YouTube video uh, of people mailing in their ticket requests. And that turned me on because it was a huge culture that I never knew about. This people saying, you know, I've seen the dead 200 times. This has been this has been my wife's or daughter's or son's fifth time seeing it. This is both our first show. I've seen it. I've seen the dead 400 times. My wife, 200 times. We met at a Grateful Dead show. Like, what is this? Um, got the Fairly Well shows on pay-per-view. Didn't understand a thing that was happening. Knew absolutely nothing. Um, and then, I guess, the following winter, Dead & Co's announced, being a huge John Mayer fan. I was like, oh, we'll check this out. Saw them a couple times. And then just dove more into it. And then by like summer 2016, I was really into it. And then just when it came to diving more into the music, there's a guitar player here named in LA called Zane Carney. And Zane Carney is a big jazz background. And he toured with John Mayer in 2013. And he had the ability to really play any jazz song, like a jazz tune, and then approach it very different ways. And I thought to myself, I love The Grateful Dead. How would I try to do that with The Grateful Dead music? Understand these songs as much as I can to where I have the tools to approach them differently. Um, and when it comes to improvising, it was a, a really tough challenge because calculate, let's say the band is doing, let's say they do um, six shows and out of those six shows they play let's say, uh, estimated profit three times. That's three different solos you, or three different ways you have to know how to approach the song. Now, they all have to be different because Garcia is not repeating the same thing twice. So that really forced me to figure out what's happening, how do I approach them, and then how can I, or what steps can I take to have ultimate freedom on the guitar when it comes to these songs? I don't do a lot of transcribing of Garcia's playing more so than just listening and then saying, oh, what is he doing? Where is he on the fretboard? And what is he trying to explain on the fretboard? And then started posting YouTube videos, Instagram, and here we are. A lot of the students that I teach, we do Grateful Death stuff. I have a lesson this coming Friday. We're working on help on the way. Uh, <laughs> should be fun. And a lot of people... They love this music. They grew up on this music and they just want to know how to approach it on the guitar rather than going on Are You Kind and seeing tabs or chords, you know, just figuring out how can I approach it in different ways? How differently can I play the same riff, this different approach to soloing? And then I'm still discovering, you know, every day, just different versions of songs, different stories of the band. And then going to shows, I'm sure we all know you've, also get different perspectives you hear other stories and uh different versions of songs people's favorite songs least favorite songs like i'm not a big peggyo fan <laughs> but i know some people love peggyo not me personally <laughs> um but yeah i love the grateful dead music I, it's always on the car on sirius and there's times where i'll take a break for maybe a month and a half and then come back to it fresh and and the fire starts going again. So when you when you go to a show and see fellow Berkeley alum John, are you able to turn off the 
analysis or is the analyzing what he's doing part of the enjoyment of the show for you? The analyzing comes afterwards. Hmm. When it comes to Dead and Co and seeing John play, one, it's he ha- he's reached peak of ultimate freedom on the guitar. Uh, I think these this past tour in 2022 really showed it. You know, he's taking a four-minute Eyes of the World solo and not repeating the same thing twice, which is, <laughs> that's essentially, that's explaining your day three different ways without saying the exact same thing. Whoa. You know, uh, which blows my mind. And when it comes to the analyzing, I'll go after the tour is over, I'll go through select shows and see the set list and see what happened in different areas that catch my attention and see how that can be applied or how that could be taught. You know, there was uh, the Eyes of the World solo from San Francisco, I think second to last night or maybe the, the last out of the tour from last year. That solo was like three minutes, four minutes. That's a, that's a long time. That's a lot of notes. That's a lot of notes not to get wrong. And then you're telling me he has to do it, or let's say he did it five times. That's just mastery of the instrument. That's just mastery and and just knowing where you want to go and where you want to take it. As someone who doesn't play music, I've never understood the difficulty of soloing until your analogy just now about explaining the events of your day repeatedly, but in different ways. Yeah, and I, I tell a lot of people when when a lot of same how how do I solo? Well, you know the tools. You have the tools on the fretboard to solo. But if you can explain, okay, the analogy I use, explaining your day, especially when you were kids. So like if we take, um, let's say, uh, like a sugary, when you're a kid, your parents would ask you, how was your day? You would say, good. What'd you do at school? Nothing. You get a bit older. How was your day? What'd you do? Nothing. Oh, but I played with my friend, Jim you get older you start explaining your day a bit more to your parents maybe in high school it's uh you hate them like we all did but you sort of you know give a bit more detail because you have more going on right the a bit more detail uh you go to college and that's when you know uh, you get a bit closer and you're spending more time on the phone with them, right? And then as you get older, they become really your closest friends. And that's, you're explaining much more in detail how work was, what you do, the dog part. You got in a fight with your partner. And so you just build small and then you sort of expand, expand, expand. And then you sort of expand ideas to the same thing. Or what happened to the dog part, you know? And then you start giving many, much more details about that. And the next thing you know, you've said how your day was, but you went through every small detail. And then next thing you know, you've sold it over a song. I don't know how many times. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wild game. Th- the analogy expanding your day, at least for me, helps a lot because it, it's true. You start out small and then you sort of add more ideas. And before you know it, maybe you're repeating ideas or taking the same idea and expanding it more, making it less. And then you, with that, and then I guess moving across the instrument to create dynamics, you have a nice flowing, uh, a nice flowing solo. Wow. Gabe, how do people sign up to get lessons from you? I know you do Zoom lessons, so it's not just Angelinos who can get lessons from you. Just you can DM me on Instagram or there's my email as well. Yeah, I'm always taking on new students. Uh, I love teaching, whether it's Grateful Dead or not. I mean, I focus a lot on on fundamentals on the instrument. Well, Ryan has two points. Pat has zero. The idea is to be as low as possible. We have one song left unless there's a tie. Let's hear it. the guests are in black peter at community war memorial auditorium in rochester new york on november 5th 1977 lovely black peter gabe why that one garcia's quote-unquote playing the changes he's following the chord progression uh but the main uh how do you call it the main statement from this solo is when he goes to the e minor That's strictly E minor. That note, that clashing of D natural with C sharp. Wow, wow, wow. So, so good. Now, was that like, was that intentional? I mean, I hope so. It sounds like it, but... That one note is that's the money shot right there for that solo. <laughs> that that's that's the money on the piano. That those two are right next to each other. That C sharp and and D natural. Yeah, and you don't really hear that a lot in the Grateful Dead music. Just the clashing of those two notes. And for people who are listening, what guitar are you playing? What have you been playing this entire time? Oh, uh, PRS Silver Sky in the Golden Mesa colorway in the middle pickup through my. Uh, Rig rundown through my 66 deluxe reverb. So not quite what I think it's appropriate for Garcia tones, but that's a whole different story. A beautiful pick to round out the game because uh, Patrick did win. He guessed 76. He was one year off. Orion guessed 81. So it's a total of six to one. Pat is the new champ of guess the year. 
Way to go, Pat. Only one year off on 76. Was it a, another case of, uh, they wouldn't do two 77s? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was, um, so I heard Keith, and um, it didn't sound like uh, uh, Jerry was playing Wolf. So, but I, I, I had a hard time narrowing it down. And when I listen and trying to guess the year on my own, if I can't quite figure it out, and if it sounds like it could be a few different years, I just say 76, because that seems to be the year that was, you know, coming out of the hiatus and moving into the the, the more funky time. It really is a, a melding of the old and new. And uh, so whenever I'm listening, like I said, and I, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it. Uh, 76 always trips me up. So that's why I went for that. Good, good, good idea, Pat. Are you and your friends going to go to the Sphere to see Den and Co? No, no, no. <laughs> That's a, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not. No, no. I, and I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a, a downer, but I just. No, we're not going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like the idea of you and your five buddies starting out on like a, you know, an auditorium and then ending up seeing the the disciples of this band in a fucking Sphere. The basketball. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <It's>, yeah. <laughs> Cool, Pat. Congrats. You're the champ. Orion, 81. Talk to us. Yeah, I just couldn't really get anything to bite on with that clip. I guess it's because there was no vocals. So I was, uh, I think I was a little late on the uptake of like, okay, where are we here? And I just couldn't get anything to really bite onto. So I was just kind of adrift in that track. (laughs) Um, But uh, I should have heard Keith over Brent. I'm not really sure how I went to 81, but yeah, I was, I was totally lost. I was like, man, I got nothing to bite on. No, no, no compass North bearing at all. So <laughs> you, you got me on that one, Gabe. Way to go, Pat. Good job. Thank man, you. It was a lot of fun. Thank, really you. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate uh, you coming on Orion. Great run, Pat, new champion. Congratulations. And uh, Gabe, you, I think you revolutionized the curator position tonight. <laughs> I imagine there's going to be a lot more guitar playing across the board from contestants and curators. It was so cool. Such a delight. Thank you for coming on and curating. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I, cho- I chose these songs because they're, uh, you know, I think they're great examples of those tunes. Um, and these are ones that, for me, are kind of staples when it comes to teaching. And so what the band can really do. Beautiful. And again, all of Gabe's links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. For all the show links, including our new YouTube channel, go to guesstheyear.net. And if you want to be a contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us, info at guesstheyear.net. Thanks to Kate and Charlie over at Ninth House Goods. Again, you can check them out, ninthhousegoods.com. And their Instagram is also linked in the show notes. They do ceramics that are just, it looks like your friend who's just incredibly good at ceramics. It just has that personal touch to it that you just cannot get, even from those, you know, the stores that try to replicate that aesthetic of small batch ceramics. It's just impossible. You don't have like that love, that touch. And Kate and Charlie have it. And ninthhousegoods.com. You can check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Thank you so much for doing the prize pack, guys. Shout out to Dylan for drawing the show poster. Shout out to James and Jack for helping out behind the scenes, as well as Kyle, who um, tipped me off to Gabe in the first place. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to Pat on the big win and to other contestants. Thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bet you good night.
Good night. Good night.